Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Welcome back. (laughs) It's part two of Insinkapalooza. Mary, can you remind me, where did we leave off? Well, we had just finished going through some of our favorite moments in NSYNC's early era, their debut, all that fun stuff. Up next, we were going to power through to Celebrity. But before doing that, just our usual legalese. Full disclaimer, we do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs or performances in this episode. The purposes of these clips is for commentary and critique. Take us away, Kels. Before we get into Celebrity... We have to mention their 2001 Super Bowl halftime performance that they co-headlined with Aerosmith because this is an episode about our favorite NSYNC moments after all, and this was definitely one of ours. This performance featured special appearances by Britney Spears, Mary J. Blige, and Nelly. It was probably the biggest performance of the No Strings Attached era, I would say. Right, Mare? Oh, yeah. Huge. This is freaking huge. I mean, if there was any question, if they hadn't popped yet, I mean, to play the Super Bowl halftime show, like, you have to be on top of your game. You have to be palatable for adults and kids to get those ratings and to perform with the Aerosmith. Like, Mm. you have to be a heavyweight in the industry and well-respected. So we touched on some fun facts from this performance in our Super Bowl episode a few months back, but I found some new tidbits that I Ooh. hadn't unearthed before. Actually, maybe I did, but we've all forgotten since February <laughs> was a long time ago. So this performance was the first time in Super Bowl halftime show history that fans could stand around the field, ah. like stand on the field around the stage. Can you imagine? <laughs> I think I'd die seeing NSYNC and Britney and Britney, Nelly uh. and Mary J. Blige. Oh, my God. Don't even put that in my head. We lived in the golden age of pop, and we didn't even know it. So NSYNC's album, No Strings Attached, saw a 23% increase in sales the week following the performance. Um, Hello, wow. marketing opportunity. And before the performance, there was this little skit that aired <laughs> that featured Ben Stiller, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, NSYNC, and Aerosmith. You know, they always have those like cheesy little trailers to get everyone like, well, they're changing over the stage and to get everyone all hyped Mm -hmm. before they come out. So in this one, NSYNC and Aerosmith were like getting ready to go on stage. And you see Ben Stiller, sort of like the coach character that he plays in Dodgeball, amping them up. And he calls in Adam Sandler, who's supposed to be like their choreographer. And it's just like very silly and funny. And I'd never seen it before. I thought it was very funny. Yeah, I I loved this. I thought it was very iconic. It (laughs) is important to note that Backstreet Boys were offered the option to perform the halftime show or the national anthem. They got to pick. And as we know, they chose the national anthem and we still haven't forgiven them for this. Speaking of BSB, I think we'd be remiss not to touch on the height of the BSB versus NSYNC rivalry. Because I feel like this was a quintessential part of being a fan during the early 2000s. You were team NSYNC, you were team BSB. You may still identify within those terms today. 
But it was just such a fun part of feeling like you had your own little group. So as much as the fans may have wanted to argue that the groups were super different, they had so much in common, including how they were created. So just as a little reminder, Backstreet Boys' Howie Darrow was responsible for introducing Chris Kirkpatrick's to Lou Pearlman after they had met at college. They sang in choir together. They sang in a choir together. So when Justin, during their Disney special, is like, oh, yeah, we were just a bunch of guys like got ourselves together, like, eh. Chris was like, I see what you're doing for Backstreet Boys, Lou, and I want you to do it for me, too. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, they had the same creator and manager, Lou Perlman. They also shared their manager, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, Johnny Wright. Both of these figures, Lou and Johnny, started working with NSYNC in secret. It's like one of those things where if you know you're not doing anything wrong, like, why keep it a secret? You know, like, that the yeah. cover-up is almost always worse than the crime. Mm-hmm. They even had a secret code name for NSYNC so Backstreet Boys wouldn't learn about them and feel miffed. Well, imagine what it was like to see them on the Disney special and be like, wait, you're managing our competition? So I can totally understand why Backstreet Boys would be upset by the fact that their management literally created their own competition, that anything they said no to because they were too worn down, too tired, too busy, NSYNC was right there to pick it up. And we talk a lot about Lou Pearlman in our Lou Pearlman episode, which is defo worth a listen to. Lance has been really candid about this rivalry and how it was very real for both of these groups at the start of their careers. And Lou was really instrumental in this. He was talking shit about each group to the other and really egging them on. And as we now know, this was a tactic by Lou to make sure that NSYNC and Backstreet Boys didn't start comparing notes so that they couldn't realize that they were being dipped by their manager. He's an evil genius. He is an evil genius. <laughs> Ugh. I wish I wasn't so grateful to him for creating both of these groups. He ruined lives. He truly ruined so many people's yeah. lives. Like Backstreet Boys and Instinct got off scot-free compared to what he did to other people. Like normal ran- people. Normal pe- veterans he- yeah. and retirees. He led the largest Ponzi scheme in the U.S. at the time. So definitely go back and listen to our Lou Perlman episode. It's so interesting. That's the Lou of it all. So I understand, like, from a work perspective, like, being pissed at sync, Like, oh, you want my leftovers? Like, whatever. There's another layer to the story that didn't reveal itself until recently. 2018, to be exact. In an interview with Billboard magazine... In an article that was celebrating the 20th anniversary of NSYNC's debut album, which Mary just beautifully walked us through, (laughs) Chris Kirkpatrick shared that NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys basically hated each other because they had a fight over a girl. It was between Chris and AJ. The two crazy ones. Because AJ was... Yeah. My God, you're so right. Chris, the crazy one, he's dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) You need to watch this special. I do. So Chris, and I quote, said this to an actual magazine. Oh, God. I wanted to punch AJ's lights out for a while. I was dating a girl. I broke up with her and he started dating her. And I guess he was talking smack to her about me. So I confronted him on it and wanted to kick his ass. I don't know how it got resolved. I saw him out one night and said I wanted to kill him. But I said, let's get a beer. I think boy band fights are in the same realm as hockey fights. You fight when you're on TV, but then when you're not, you go get a beer together. Now we're really good friends. End quote. Amen to that. I'm so glad that they could overcome their differences. But holy shit, it's kind of cool to hear that there was like an actual 
like rival. Right. Like I feel like they would always tell us the fans, like, don't fight my battles for me. Like we got it. Like everyone live in harmony, peace. But we were not living in harmony. Neither were um, they. <laughs> we were fighting the battles on the playground. We were their street, what do you call it? Like their warriors, their troopers. Anyways, I'm really sorry for that really long sidetrack, that sidebar, Mary. And I would love for you to talk us through Celebrity because I agree, it is an iconic album. Oh my God, I love Celebrity. I listened to it today on my workout and oh, I'm so excited. Let's talk about it. So this is the fourth and final as of now, album by NSYNC. It was released by Jive on July 24th, 2001. So at this time, NSYNC was facing a lot of criticism and flack, specifically that they were not like a quote unquote credible group. Critics were saying they, they weren't artists. You know, they were just kind of these like puppets. They weren't creatives. That was the allegation. So with Celebrity, the goal was to kind of begin experimenting with genres such as hip hop and two-step to both like keep with the trend of music and also like show off their range and the range of pop. And so they enlisted numerous producers, including Rodney Jerkins, BT, the Brian McKnight and the Neptunes to work on this album with them. In sync choreographer Wade Robinson also took a bigger role for the boys as he co-wrote and produced multiple tracks for this album. And let me tell you, I was shocked at how involved Wade was lyrically in this album when I was doing research. JT and JC also contributed to the production elements of this album and co-wrote 10 out of the 13 tracks, an attempt to develop this unique sound that they were looking for to prove all these critics wrong. JC discussed this process in an interview with Billboard saying, quote, our objective was not to be self-conscious and try to make another hit record. Instead, we were set out to make a record that was more reflective of what turns us on musically. We also wanted to prove that pop music comes in a lot of different flavors. It's not just bubblegum, end quote. And uh, I think that's very well said. And I think they achieved this with this album, definitely. At this time, the boys also decided to assign roles for each member of the group to combat another media perception of certain members of the group being way more heavily involved than other members, if you get what I'm saying. AKA, there was a bit of a perception that JT and JC were basically doing everything. So JT and JC were given the role of album production and music. So basically the same thing they had always been doing. I really don't understand what that did. Lance was assigned to handle business and management. Like, don't you have a manager and a business person for this? Like, again, I'm very concerned. <laughs> I'm confused. Don't you want like an MBA handling your finances? Like I don't understand. And Joey and Chris started to plan the supporting tour. So again, my question is like, what? No, no, no. You need like a team of experts on this. This is bizarre, but. I know. Maybe they felt so duped. <laughs> Yes. Or they're like, if you want to do something right, you have to do it yourself. Hey, whatever. It worked because whatever they did with this album, it worked. So this is the secret sauce, I guess. But Celebrity came out. It was their second album to debut at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 charts. It sold 1.879 million copies in the United States in the first week. The album was certified five times platinum. It was the third best-selling album in 2001 and was nominated for a Grammy for the best pop vocal album of the year, losing to Sade. But so before we jump into our track by track, I noticed when revisiting this, a lot of like vitriol and mistrust and betrayal by the opposite sex as a theme of this album. 
And like, I know JC and Justin wrote like 90% of this tracks. So I was like, okay, what's the inspiration here? So I was like doing my digging and I obviously immediately thought about Justin and Britt. The album was written in January and February of 2001. And Britney and Justin were together technically publicly until March of 2002. But I, I still wouldn't be surprised if there was some like tumultuousness there. But like, I don't know. It Also during this time, JC was linked to his on the line co-star Emmanuel Chikri, but it didn't seem like it was anything serious. So like, I don't know, purely speculative here. You can pull from any sort of inspiration when you're writing. But I just wanted to know there is definitely a theme on this album. Did you notice that, Kelsey? Yes, it's like darker, definitely. It definitely feels like the subject matter is way more serious. Whereas I think I know what you're getting at, Mary. Like the first albums could have been written for anyone about anyone, but this felt super pointed because we knew so much more about their personal lives because they were celebrities, as the name implies. I also, maybe I should hold on this comment until we like get further into it, but some of these songs... In my mind, I think of them as Justin Timberlake songs, not in sync songs. Yes, I have some notes on that, too. It was definitely very Justin heavy. I agree completely. But let's get into it. Track one, Pop. This was written by Justin and Wade. It was released on May 14th, 2001. And it was the first single from the album. It peaked at number 19 on the Billboard charts. In an interview with Billboard, Justin was quoted saying that they put everything that is not considered pop music into the song. And they wanted to show everyone that not all pop is bubblegum pop. There are different versions of it. And so again, there is this huge response. They're getting criticized that they're just these bubblegum pop boys, puppets, you know, And they are really pushing back at that. And re-listening to that song, you do hear like a lot of electric guitar. I definitely see what they were trying to do with this song. And I think they succeeded. In creating the song, they enlisted a DJ and techno producer, BT, after JC and JT befriended him. Oh my God, BTJCJT. Like, can I do this? So, JC sounds like a sandwich. I know. JC asked BT to appear on the album, and BT was hesitant because he, you know, he had heard the rumors. He, He didn't know if he wanted to get involved with these guys, but he agreed. And I've always given Justin shit for putting his like beatboxing on oh. track. <laughs> but like, man, I'm tired of singing. Man, I'm tired of singing. Oh my God. And there's a lot of beatboxing on pop, especially near the end. Legend has it they were working on this song and, you know, JT was off beatboxing under his breath and BT heard it and asked to use it for part of the song. And Justin allegedly was very hesitant. He did not want it featured on any track. I'm being sarcastic, but this is what is alleged. Um, I was going to say, whose PR person told this? Yes, (laughs) but he relented. And so BT is this like genius little producer DJ. And he created like 1,200 edits of the track using this like stutter edit technique, which is like this rhythmic repetition of small fragments of audio. He put a shit ton of work into it. And incorporated all these different sounds, the beatboxing, what have you. Music is a science. I don't entirely understand it. But he played this version for the boys and they loved it. 
Jive, on the other hand, was very reluctant to release Pop as the first single from the album. They were like, this is not radio-friendly. There's no pop formula to it. It's a very chaotic, kind of frenzical song, I feel like, and it's not in that formula. Um, But in my opinion, I think this is such a good pop song. Catchy, they got their message across like with their lyrics. This might not even been the point, but I just feel like this perfectly encapsulates pop for me. And maybe that's like not what they wanted to do, but that's what it did for me. And I still listen to it regularly. Were you a fan, Kels? Yeah, I freaking love this song. I was so angry that I loved it because this was back when I was deep in the throes of BSB or nothing. And I freaking love this song. It was new. Why? It was so different. It was a unique take on pop and I loved it. They knocked it out of the park. The music video for Pop was directed by someone we've discussed many times, Wayne Isham. So Wade also appeared in the video for Pop as Joey in like the really long dancey sequences because Joey had injured his leg. Isn't that hilarious? He was like his body double. (laughs) I know. This is a great story, Kels. Two days before filming... Joey injured his leg while rehearsing for their upcoming tour. The area between his knee and calf was like trapped between a 300 pound platform underneath the stage, like insane. It created like a hole in his leg. His bone was exposed. So moral of the story, he could not do their like crazy dance moves for this video. As Kelsey said, they superimposed Joey's face on Wade's body and he danced in his place. And God, anytime you can have Wade Robinson dance in your place, like that's a win. Sign me Uh, up for the rest of the tour. That would be right. This was a huge video. It cost about $2.5 million, which is like 4.2 today. It's one of the most expensive music videos of all time. We say that about a ton of these videos, but because we only talk about the best. The boys shot the video for two days straight and there was definitely rumblings of displeasure about like the schedule and being overworked for this shoot. Apparently, they just went through the night for a couple days in a row. But the hard work paid off, however, as the video won four MTV Video Music Awards. Something that I find very cool, NSYNC performed this song at the 2001 VMAs and they were actually accompanied by Michael Jackson. And this is really cool performance besides, one, their outfits were like <laughs> insane, deranged. I can't, I don't know who's styling them, but I can't take it. Pants. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then call. Justin has this like girl that he calls his secretary, but she's a secretary. He's like secretary, not included. And I was like, cr- it was just so yeah. cringy. Oh, and uh, secretary, not included. And, like, Lance and Joey come out on this, like, tandem motorcycle, and Joey is driving, and Lance is, like, a little pet dog in the sidecar, just, like, (laughs) sitting there. I was crying, but, like, okay. Besides that, like, they sounded so good lyrically. They were dancing up a storm, and then at the end, Michael comes out of, like, an Etch-A-Sketch, if that makes any sense. And it it said Kings of Pop on it, the Etch-A-Sketch, and then it dropped the S, and it said King of Pop. And then Michael came out and he did kind of like a little dance riff. It was really, (laughs) yes, I didn't know if this was a surprise or if people knew this was coming, but either way, I thought it was iconic. Do you remember this? Oh, I remember it. I was like, what? I can't, yeah. Having Michael Jackson, I feel like really like legitimized them. That's like what probably like the kind of approval that they were seeking like from the industry but i also read that they weren't even sure if michael was actually going to show up because they did all these rehearsals and michael wasn't there they were just told he was going to be there when the etch-a-sketch is revealed 
So mm-hmm. I heard in some interviews that they were just like in awe when they finally saw Michael Jackson there. But also, let it be known, this is my least favorite JC hair era. Ugh, he I had that long hair, those weird highlights, like the goatee thing. No likey. Fair enough. It wasn't for everyone. <laughs> Okay, PC. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so track two, celebrity. Written by Justin and Wade, produced by Rodney Jenkins. This is like a low-key funky track. I love how they per celebrity, celebrity, and there's like cameras clicking in the background. I love it. It matched the album cover. It was perfect. And I used to sing this song with such passion. Like if I wasn't such a popular seventh grade celebrity, would all the boys still want to date me? Like I felt like I could relate. Obviously I couldn't, but the message is one that I think applies in many situations, like uncertainty of what someone's motives may be when you're in a relationship. Like again, I just thought this was a great track too. Oh, you're so right. It does match the cover perfectly. Love yes. it. Pop was definitely okay. my favorite of all of them. Track three. The game is over. This is written by our man JC, and it has a Pac-Man sample at the start of it, which is like kind of cool. I like this song as well. There's really very few skips for me on this album. This girl's playing this guy and he is finally onto her tricks. The game is over, lady. This song has kind of like a robotic video game beat. It's super up-tempo. If you watch their Pop Odyssey tour, which is on YouTube in full, they definitely continue with the video game vibes when performing this song. There's like a final bridge and before the last chorus in the song and JC's like yelling. He's like, how could you do me like that? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Girl, honestly, how could you? What the hell is wrong with you? Manuel, what did you do to him? (laughs) Mystery woman, reveal yourself. Who are you? (laughs) This is a no skip for me. Moving right on to track four. Girlfriend. So good. Written by Justin and Pharrell, Girlfriend was released in January of 2002 as the third and final single from Celebrity. It's the group's last song to enter the top 10 of the U.S. Billboard Top 100s. It peaked in number five. Girlfriend also charted really well in a bunch of other different countries. Those opening chords, like, dun, 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 dun. You hear that and you know what you are getting. This song brings me back. We all know the iconic Nelly remix version of this song as well, which in my opinion is arguably better than the non-Nelly version. When Nelly was approached to record the song, his label did not want him to do it. They were like, if you do this, like, are you trying to ruin your career? Like, what are you thinking? And And he's like, I performed with them at the Super Bowl in 2001. What are you talking about? These are my boys. Yeah, no, Nelly insisted on doing the song and the label eventually gave their blessing. But 
it was his first major cross genre collaboration. And like Nelly was on fire during this time period. So I feel like this was just like a big deal on both sides. And then, I mean, I'm not a JT girl, but that bridge, ever since I saw your face, like, nothing in my life has been the same. Oh, I'm with you. Ever since I saw your face, nothing in my life has been the same. I walk around saying your name without you, my world would end, yeah. So good. The song was more like the bridge. The bridge is the best part of the song. And I like Justin's part of the bridge better than JC's. And I don't say that type of thing often. So... This is me trying. This is me trying. I just want <laughs> you. Okay. So Girlfriend was nominated for a Grammy in the best performance by pop duo or group with vocals category. And strangely and sadly, this is the last single NSYNC released in their career. And that is of 8-23-2023 at 9 p.m. EST. So you never know. It could be coming. All right. Moving right along. Track five, The Two of Us. When you get a minute, baby, I was thinking we could hook up. It's just the two of us, the two of us. This is a really pretty song written by JC. It perfectly, for me, encapsulates how I imagine JC as a person. Just, like, sweet, Serious. good guy. <laughs> yeah, and mature. And it's just very light and up-tempo. I think it's a really sweet addition to the album. Do you like this one? I love it. I think this might be my second favorite song on the album. Ooh, okay. So you're a two of us gal. I'm just a JC gal. <laughs> oh, yeah. We stand JC. Okay. Track six. Gone. I drove myself insane, wishing I could touch your face. But the truth remains Ooh, all right. This one is a Justin and Wade written track. It was released in August of 2001, and this was the second single from the album. It peaked at number 11, and it's the first NSYNC single where JT sings all lead vocals. I don't know how true this is because this would absolutely be deranged, but allegedly Justin got the idea for this song when his then-girlfriend Brittany went to the hair salon and was gone for a really long time, and he started to miss her. Okay, so, I read that too, and I was like, that has to be fake. Like, there's read, no way. I read it on multiple sites because I saw it on a site that's like it's not always reliable, and I dug further and found it in multiple places. And so I was like, there may be some truth to this. I oh don't my God. know. It, just, it sounds like when someone is like trying to lie on the spot and like come up with something like, oh, it's about uh, like uh, my girlfriend going to the hair salon. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. I know. Because, okay, let's be real. Like the quality of this song, his voice on this song, oh, that final chorus on a song where he does all his riffs. This is like a huge moment to shine and I think deserves some credit. It's a very good song. But like the inspiration. <laughs> I know because, well, that's why it's like, I can't believe. I know. <laughs> Brittany going to get her roots done for a few hours <laughs> inspires the heart-wrenching, harrowing ballad gone. But like, oh my God. you never know. This song was actually nominated for a Grammy as well, but lost to U2's Stuck in the Moment You Can't Get Out of. Now you're stuck in the moment and you can't get out of it. 
Why does you two always win? I know. I do kind of like that song, though. And I can't lie. Oh, okay. Well, more than <laughs> gone. I uh, know. I want boy band justice at yes. these award shows. So I'm yeah. always rooting for whoever the boy band is. So I read that Justin allegedly also, aside from it being inspired by his girlfriend going to the hair salon, <laughs> I read that he wrote this song for Michael Jackson and Michael's team turned it down. He's like, oh, yeah, OK, fine. I guess InSync can have it. <laughs> yes. So this was the first song Justin did all on his own. And Michael turned it down. And so he brought it to InSync after Michael said no. However, Michael eventually changed his mind and was like, wait, I want to be featured. Let's do this song together. And he changed his mind probably after hearing how freaking good it sounded. And the song was already released. And so like they had trouble kind of like coming up a way of revamping this song in a way that made sense and having them both sing it together. And I mean, like, Gone is just so beautiful, haunting, raw. Like, I definitely could see Michael being like, wait, okay, this is good. (laughs) Like, and I just, I wonder if this song inspired their joint performance at the VMAs. You know, maybe this is kind of where a relationship was established. Oh, what brought them together. Yeah. Maybe. So do you remember their 2001 Billboard Awards performance of Gone? They were in this like light up basket over the audience Mm -hmm. and you could just see everyone's faces like dying. Mm -hmm. And I definitely in my mind forgot that this was an NSYNC song. Like I just feel like similar to Girlfriend, like when I hear these two songs, I just think, oh, that's a Justin Timberlake solo song. I don't think of it as like an NSYNC song. Well, you're not alone in that feeling, Kels. Jason Lipschutz of Billboard stated that the song established, quote, Timberlake as a solo artist long before he was actually a solo artist and remains one of his very best singles to date, end quote. So, like, people were like, this was a solo Justin song. Yikes. Calling it a single is kind of harsh. Right? And then I read other articles that said that it was literally the precursor to Cry Me a River. But in 2018, Billboard gave this bad boy a ranking of number 24 on their list of 100 greatest boy band songs. And Rolling Stone similarly ranked it as number 37 on their boy band ranking list. Everybody's ranking the boy band songs, but... I think that tracks, even though it is, you know, technically a Justin Timberlake single. The music video for Gone was directed by the legend Herb Ritz. It's like a black and white, sepia-toned, silent film. Justin's like a Charlie Chaplin type figure. And this is like a theme they kept for the song throughout their pop odyssey tour kind of this like silent film charlie chaplin vibes and it's definitely memorable but i just i feel like they could have done something different i just like it didn't need that you know i don't know i just didn't feel like it needed that but this video did become nsync's 10th number one video on trl and it was nominated for video of the year at the vmas but lost to without me by eminem oh freaking eminem (laughs) (laughs) he does pop up All right, we spent a while on Gone. Let's move to track seven. Tell me, tell me, baby. This is a Max Martin and Rami (laughs) Yacoub production. You already know I'm going to love it. The intro, it's super unique. Hold on. Uh, You know what? Can we back it up just a little bit? There's like glass breaking. Sit back. Weird beats. Sit back. 
There's like why. Weird pronunciations of whys. It's like frantic. Bye bye. Baby. Baby. Thank you. And so it's a frantic song, but the message of the song is frantic. It's like the girl he loves, why won't she let me back? What am I supposed to do without this girl now? There was a quote in a Billboard article, and I think this describes it aptly. Quote, Max Martin was still very much relying on his late 90s bag of tricks here. Larger than life beats. Swelling strings. And choruses bombastic enough to blow the studio doors off, end quote. And I think that Mm -hmm. absolutely sums up the song. I love this song. I think it's like coded in my DNA that I have to love this song. But um, it sounds like it could be on black and blue. Yes. Oh, that's so good, Kals. I agree. So true. All right. Track eight. Up against the wall. Now, this is a JC and JT production, and I dare say, a very horny song on the album. I have such a funny relationship to this song. I have strict parents, as I have said before, and my parents made me promise if I got this album to skip this song and not listen to it. I later found out because it mentioned grinding in it. And little did they know, little did they know what I was up to at my middle school dances, but (laughs) I just. I just I died out like it's so funny I can't it's hysterical but I I mean this song is okay I any thoughts it's, che- it's like cheesy it's like up against the wall like I just don't like when they're like talking mirror mirror singing. on the wall yeah exactly I don't love it I don't love that it gives me the ick yeah it's okay this is my first like meh on this album but I will still listen to it, but moving right on, track nine, See Right Through You. And this is written by JT and Wade. Once again, I told you this man was all over this album. This is another favorite of mine, and it tracks another betrayal on this album. These games, they gotta stop. About to get pissed off. Like, the guys are seeing through this girl and her games. We get a lot of funky beats. DJ record scratches. Uh, The final bridge is one of my favorites. What are your thoughts on this one, Kels? The beginning has that little like yes. The intros did not hold back on this album. (laughs) No, what I did really appreciate about this album, as soon as you like skip to the next song is like a totally different vibe like it was a mixed bag you did not know what you were gonna get every time you hit next it was a great variety of different sounds and that's what they were trying to do right they're really trying to show their range and right on that note let's literally go to track 10 and pivot to this like beautiful song selfish Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that was written by JC and produced by Brian McKnight. Oh my God. Okay. I love this song. I definitely can hear the R&B McKnight influence on this. This is a favorite of mine. It really highlights our guy, JC, and his vocal range. Like, go watch his live performance of this on the Pop Odyssey tour. It's on YouTube. He continues to like blow my mind with his talents. As Kelsey said earlier, we stand JC on this podcast. So, he earned oh. it. He deserves it. I think their harmonies sound really pretty on it, too. Oh. They just sound really pretty. Right? It's like this song kind of brings me back to their roots a bit. It, mm-hmm. It's just a little bit more like boy bandy and like, yeah. you know, like... Very I'm set adrift love- on memory bliss. Yes. And like about like love. I'm selfish, but I just want your love. You know, it, it feels nostalgic. It's nostalgic to an earlier sound of theirs. It's a beautiful song. And then Record Scratch, Bricker Bricker... Track 11, (laughs) we're going to pivot to a totally different vibe with Just Don't Tell Me That. We're going right back to Sweden with Andreas Carlson and Christian Lunden, cohorts of our bestie, Max. So, okay, another song on this album that I love. I keep saying that, but they're just like a lot of good songs on this album. And this is no different. Again, I don't think I could turn my back on the Swedes. It's just a bop. And like similarly to The Game Is Over, See Right Through You, the girl in this song is being a big B and spending way too much time at the Playboy Mansion. With her phony laugh, she just wants to be photographed. Like, I don't know. They're not dating the right women. Something's going on. But it's another kind of like pissed off song. But I still freaking love it. This song reminds me of a Britney Spears song. Like the beginning. Like if you took all their vocals, I would guess that this is a Britney Spears song. Like off her Britney album, I feel like I could yes definitely hear that. And she worked with Wade on that album. Isn't that interesting? Definitely like we, follows the formula. But this one, like to me, definitely it feels familiar. Like from the first time you listen mm-hmm. to it, even if you haven't heard it before, it's good. It's a good song. And now I'm going to my only skips of the album, you guys. And it makes sense that they're at the end because I just never make it there, and I just turn it off at eleven. Track twelve is something like cute. It was written by Justin Timberlake and NSYNC's vocal coach, Robin Wiley. In addition, definitely worth noting, the Stevie Wonder plays that iconic harmonica part on the track. Like, what a snag. I know. I was going to say, like, oh, my God, it has a harmonica. And then when you learn it, Stevie Wonder, you're like, like oh, my oh. God. Usually when I hear a harmonica, I'm a hard skip. But <laughs> then once you know that it's like Stevie Wonder, like, you have to listen. I do think it's a pretty song, but I'm with you. I'd rather, like, end an album on a bang than, like, a slow thing, yes. you know? Yes. It's just not something I'm seeking out. 
And that's the same for me on track 13, Do Your Thing. This is always a skip for me. Apparently, this was a, a label, a jive pick that is included on Celebrity because they wanted to ensure that they got a song on there that showcased NSYNC's harmony abilities and vocal talents. Like, labels be labeling. That's weird, though, that they think that Gone didn't do that or Selfish didn't do that. It's interesting. The label has to assert some control, right? And I guess this was their... Their flex. Yes. Also, we have to talk about, before moving on, just the vibe of this album cover. I thought it was so iconic. It's like of the boys walking on a red carpet. They're surrounded by like flashing cameras and this like diverse crowd of like screaming girls and... They look so cool. I just remember being like, wow, like the frosted mm. tips, the microphones, the grandma freaking out in the right corner. Like that's Kelsey and I at our Backstreet Boys 100 year reunion, I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, with the giant camera. We're also the paparazzi and also the cheerleader and also the Vegas showgirl all in one. It's a great cover and it goes so perfectly kind of with the vibe of the album. I love it. I like that they also have men in there, too. I wonder yes. if we could talk to somebody who's like on the cover. If you are a celebrity cover model, we want to talk to you. We should do some digging. Like, I wonder if these were just like a stock image and then like imagine ending up on the cover of like NSYNC's album. I think I would die. Also, can we talk about Joey's hair? They're not just tips. It's like full on like stripes. He looks like a jar of peanut butter and jelly that comes like in the same jar together. <laughs> oh, Joey. Okay, so briefly, to support this album, NSYNC embarked on not one, but two tours. The first was Pop Odyssey, which ran through May 2001 through September 2001. And to be honest, this is one that I do rewatch on YouTube fairly regularly. It's definitely like a spectacle. And on top of that, they all sound very, very good, especially JC. It's just like a very high quality concert palooza that is, in addition, a cardiovascular marathon. We see the like classic Wade Robinson choreo that is such a staple of NSYNC in their choreography, like very fast, very nonstop. They're running around, they're jumping up and down, they're doing flips. It's technical, it's high energy, and it's completely on display for this tour all while they're singing live. And this tour was like a big deal. It was on a five-story high main stage with several smaller stages surrounding it. It took 88 trucks to trek it across the country compared to the 19 trucks they used for No Strings Attached. The tour earned over $90 million, and it was the second biggest tour of 2001. They then went on a second tour for Celebrity called The Celebrity Tour, which ran from March 2002 through April 2002. So a little quick one. And in contrast to Pop Odyssey, it was much more about the music, much less spectacle. And it incorporated a lot of their older songs with the new arrangements. And this one earned $33 million, which, you know, a third of their previous tour, but still pulling in some change. Thank God it's Friday night and I just... I can't get over the 88 trucks. <laughs> I know. Like, does how many trucks does Eras to have? I need to know. I've heard that there's three fleets because they're breaking down in one city, setting up in the next one. And then because like it takes a week for the stage to be set up. So while they're actively performing on one, they're getting ready for the next one. And I think they have a backup one. Oh, wow. 
Okay, so the last time that we have seen NSYNC perform was the 2013 VMAs. So this was when Justin was accepting the Vanguard Award, which is like VMAs, like Nobel Peace Prize Award, (laughs) basically. This is like the Beyonce when she was wearing her amazing Tom Ford outfit. And usually the artist who's receiving the award does like an amazing extended set where they perform like a medley of all their hits. So Justin was performing his medley of hits. And all of a sudden, we see four men in suits lit up. And we know that Lance, Joey, and JC and Chris were joining him on stage. So they performed for like less than a minute. But... It was enough to, like, kill everyone in the audience. Everyone was so excited. They sang, like, a little bit of Girlfriend. They were wearing, like, these beautiful black tuxedos. They looked so good. I mean, it was just, like, this cute little sync medley. Truly, like, a blink-and-you'll-miss-it feature. I felt really happy for all the sync fans when it happened because... We are so spoiled that we still get to see Backstreet Boys perform and they're still together. But NSYNC never really got the closure. Justin wanted to go off and do his solo career. They told the fans that they would be on hiatus, but this wasn't the last that they would hear of NSYNC. And sadly, that wasn't the case. They never got back together. And I feel like the fans never really got that closure. So that was a very exciting 2013 moment. And now 10 years later... Here we are, and there's all these rumors that there is another reunion on the horizon. Mary, what do you think is going to happen? I think we're going to see a troll song, and I, I'll i let you explain what kind of your thoughts are on what that song will be like, because I agree with you completely. But I'm not optimistic we're going to get a ton more than that. I hope I'm wrong, because I support all of this. I want all of this to happen. I want the fandoms to get this. But I am not sure that that's necessarily in the cards for all the members of the group. And you might see, like, Fatone doing, like, his shows with a couple, you know, with Lance or maybe with Chris or maybe the three of them. But I am not convinced that this is a full-blown reunion album tour Super Bowl Mm -hmm. type thing. What do you think, Kelsey? I hope we're wrong. So my prediction, my crystal ball, is that this is going to be like a Justin Timberlake song featuring NSYNC, not like an NSYNC song, if that makes sense. Like, I think that JC probably produced it and wrote it. We saw that photo of them in the studio together. And it's interesting that JC has sort of been back in the spotlight. I don't know if you've seen his Meow Mix commercial, Mary. Yes, I love it. So basically, if you haven't seen it, it's a commercial where true like CGI cats are trying to form a boy band. And it has like this 90s nostalgia. And they have JC sort of like leading the boy band cat group. And he sings the Meow Mix theme song. Meow, 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 meow. So, like, what the fuck? If JC's going to sing the Meow Mix song, like, I expect to hear him lay some vocals on whatever this freaking Trolls track is. But I'm just trying to temper my own expectations, I think. And I think it's going to be Justin's song with some oohs and ahs and some beautiful harmonies. And maybe a little, ah, from JC. <laughs> Give JC all the, ah, we need it.
again, I think I'm just trying to temper my own expectations, but we hope the best for NSYNC fans. We are crossing our fingers for everyone for some validation soon. I'm with you, Mary. Don't know if it's going to be like a huge tour, but who knows? I mean, stranger things have happened. I've seen some comments that people think Backstreet Boys and NSYNC are going to group together. I don't really see that happening because Backstreet Boys just ended this huge world tour. I don't know that they're ready to do it again but even lance and joey have been performing like at epcot lately yeah singing in sync songs they're definitely i mean and also lance's socials are totally breadcrumbing us and he's not subtle whatsoever lance would be down we all know lance would be down i think he only started his podcast to try to get like some support Mm -hmm. behind them getting because that's all he talks about on his podcast but so that was kind of what we wanted to talk about some of our favorite moments of NSYNC. You know, we're not by definition NSYNC girlies, but we love and appreciate boy bands and NSYNC's talent and their impact is undeniable. This is such a perfect time to kind of get into it with all the buzz going around anyway. So thank you for sticking with us on this journey. Next week, My dear sweet Kelsey is going to be out traveling the world and I am going to have a very special friend of mine as a guest host, just a temporary one week substitute. It's Mary and Kelsey forever, but we're going to talk about a very iconic album of our youth. But then Kelsey will be back the week after that and we'll get dirty. Dirty. A little teaser. A breadcrumb a la Lance Bass. But it's more like a loaf of bread. It's kind of obvious. <laughs> Mary, I'm so excited to hear what you and your friend Steph do next week. Thank you all for listening. Please make sure to review us. Leave us five stars and leave us a nice review because we might read it on our next episode. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.